Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from February 13th by Pastor Randy, titled, Nehemiah, Build Back Your Faith, Part 5. All right, so we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And we've been seeing the revival that occurred, that occurred in Nehemiah in order to encourage our own. But we have not just been looking at the story about what's been going on in Nehemiah. We've been looking at what's behind the story. What I mean by that is in chapter 1, we see where Nehemiah spent four and a half months praying and fasting. What's behind that? What's behind that was a sense of desperation, a sense of brokenness over sin in his own heart and the sin in, in his community, in his culture. And without brokenness, you're not going to have revival. If you're not concerned about where you're at, you're not going to expect to be somewhere different. So if revival is going to be in, it's going to begin with that type of brokenness about the sin in your life and in the culture. And those two things go together. You can't divide them. Then in chapter 2, we saw where Nehemiah went to the king, risking his life to go before the king with his request. What's behind that? Behind that was faith. You want revival? It will take a step of faith. Because the reason you're in a mess to begin with is because of a lack of faith. So somehow there's going to be a step of faith to have to get you where you need to be. So there's going to be a sense of brokenness. There's going to need to be a step of faith. And then we looked at chapter 3 where we saw all these diverse people coming together in the 41 different groups and building the wall. What does that take? It takes unity. And we begin talking about unity. And I focused last week on on. Two reasons why unity is so hard. The first reason why unity is so hard is because of immaturity. Whenever Paul saw jealousy and strife and yin, yin, yin going on inside of church, his description of those people was, you're babies, you're being immature. Now, listen closely. Just because you think you're right and just because you think you're justified doesn't mean you're not a baby. Every two-year-old that throws a selfish, I want it my way fit, thinks they're justified in that. Let me give you another way to look at it. Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector in the temple praying. The Pharisee is self-righteous and arrogant. The tax collector is humble and repentant. But the Pharisee looks at the tax collector and says, says, God, I'm so glad I'm not like him. And when you read that story, does it cross your mind to say, God, I'm so glad I'm not like the Pharisee? So let me ask you a question. When you say, God, I'm so glad I'm not like the guy who says he's not like the guy, Guess what you are? You're the guy. You're the guy. Let me explain that. You want to say, I'm justified. In this little nanny that's going on, I'm right. I'm justified in it. And so you keep going at it because you think you're right, you're justified. Guess what you really are? You're the baby. Because you're not strong enough in Christ to show Gentleness, forgiveness, humility. 
patience. That makes you, as far as possible, the spiritual baby. So the other reason why unity is so difficult is not because that's just the way things is, just the way things are. It's because we have an enemy who's out to destroy the unity. He's out to destroy the relationships between us and God and us and other Christians. And what our enemy will do, he will try and arrange things so that people are going to come together and they're going to go, yeah, 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 yeah. He'll try and arrange that. And rather than having a spiritual mindset and saying, oh, that's Satan's behind this. I'd better forgive. I'd better be patient. I'd better love anyway. I'd, re- I'd better be humble because I don't want Satan to have a chance to come in and destroy my life and destroy the church. Rather than doing that, we're going to, we just, it's on. And Satan goes, got him again. Do y'all remember in the first Gulf War, we had a whole coalition of forces lined up in Kuwait. We had our troops. We had troops from, I don't know, just a lot of different countries and a lot of Arab countries that was there. And we're all lined up against Saddam Hussein, right, to kick him out of Kuwait, teach him a lesson, get him out. And as all these forces, these coalition forces were lining up, what did he do? Saddam Hussein started firing scuds over into Israel. So he's firing his scud missiles over there. He doesn't care how many people they kill, if they kill anybody or not. He, he, that's irrelevant to him. He's just trying to break up the coalition. Can I, by doing this, can I break up all those Arab nations that are lined up against me? See, Satan just wants to know, can he destroy unity? He doesn't care how it's done. He wants to do it because he knows that together we're so powerful. Together we have such a witness to the world. But I can't tell you how many times that I've seen not just people in the church, I've seen ministers blow a whole ministry up because they can't get along or or they have their own petty differences about what should happen with other ministers. You remember when Paul was writing his letter in Philippians? He's in prison, uh, and he writes, he's got these people who are out there, they're preaching the gospel, but while they're preaching the gospel, they're taking pot shots at Paul. They're trying to, to put Paul down while they're preaching the gospel. And Paul's response, you read about it in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, is, so what? I don't care as long as Christ is preached. Now, if Paul can overlook insults, against him for the sake of the ministry, I should be able to do that too. And if my spiritual math is correct, our God is the God who multiplies. Satan is one who tries to divide. He should be our enemy, not one another. Now, those are two reasons why unity is so hard. We're going to go over to the third one today. And if you didn't like what I said about the first two, you're really not going to like this. But you can send your comments to Jeremy Wilson at gbcak.net. He will take care of all that. He, he would love to have that to deal with while he's going on vacation. Okay. So let me begin it this way. I've used this illustration before, but I want to use it again, but make a certain point with it, a, a different point with it. Suppose you go into a room 
where you don't know anybody. It's a meeting or something at work and, or you're at a conference or something and you go into this room and nobody knows anybody and you see on the table right when you walk in the door the name tags. Hello, I am, and a magic marker there and you know the routine. So you go over to the little table there and you pick up the marker. But before you can write anything, a lady comes over and says, we don't want you to write your name on that. We want to write want you to write some other way to identify you. But my name is the way I identify me. But it's just, no, write something else besides your name that, 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 that identifies who you are. Statistically, most people would write down their occupation. I'm a mechanic. I'm in the military. You know, I'm a student. Some people, not as much, would identify with something, some challenge in their life that they've overcome. I'm a cancer survivor. I'm divorced. I'm bankrupt or something like that. Some people, about as many as the other group, would write down something they're passionate about. I'm a runner. You know, I'm a fisherman. I'm a knitter or something like that, something that they're very passionate about. Now, most people wouldn't write this down, but some people, what would go through their mind is a label that's been put on them. Maybe other people put that label in, and now they believe it. So they may be tempted, although they probably wouldn't write it down, something like, well, you know, I'm, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm smart, I'm dumb, I'm an athlete, or something like that, some other label. But here's the thing I want you to realize. No matter what you write down to identify you, as soon as you write that down, you become a community. Identity leads to community, especially if you find somebody else who has a photographer tag on and you have one on, you go, oh, let's talk about that. Identity forms a community. And let's use another word for that that we're familiar with today. It forms a tribe. When you identify yourself, you're forming a tribe. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be part of a tribe. We don't want to be alone. We want to be around other people, other people who have the same passions we do, have the same likes we do. Maybe even people have the same fears that we do, have been through some of the same things in life that we have. So there's nothing wrong with being part of a tribe. The difficulty comes when being part of a tribe becomes tribalism. Now let me explain that. What happens when people form a tribe is that they automatically become antagonistic to everybody who's not part of their tribe. They've done study after study about this, and it just happens. It's just part of the way that we're wired. A tribe becomes tribalism when it's no longer about just who you are. It's about everybody else who's not part of your tribe. This is why politics are so toxic in our culture today. It, what they call it is identity politics. It's when you begin to look at everything through that realm. You begin to look at the news you watch, the, the medical things you listen to, the, 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 the friends or whatever. You begin to look everything through the eyes of that political perspective. So then you have Democrat tribes and Republican tribes and BLM tribes and MAGA tribes and VAX tribes and anti-VAX tribes and CNN tribes and Fox News tribes and, and it goes on and on and on and on. 
You have all these people that, that develop these tribes and they look at people in the other tribe and, and they, ooh, now all of a sudden they're antagonistic. They're, they're our enemy. They're, they're people who are different. And the trouble is, is when people bring that tribalism into the church. When people bring that tribalism into the church, you begin to think kingdom unity is just not happening. How can we be unified with that tribalism going on? And what I want to do today, I want you to see today how the gospel and Jesus came to do away with that. To do away with that. To tear down those walls that we have. The, the, that tribalism that, that's taking place. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this first in, um, in Galatians chapter 3. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying that there's no differences. He's just saying that that identity uh, that, that you had, those those the. Those differences that you have are no longer part of your core identity. So yes, there's differences. But your identity is not defined by those differences. Now there is no Jew or Greek or male or female or Democrat or Republican or Armenianism or Calvinism type person. There's no blue collar or white collar. Here's what I want you to see. The gospel has torn down the walls that separate us. That's what he's saying. Those differences aren't there anymore because you're, you have a new identity. It's who you are in Christ. So in Nehemiah, they're coming together to build the wall. And as we said last week, there's unity involved because there's 41 different sections they divide that into and you have people from all these different backgrounds. You have priests, you have people in the city, out of city, you got people working in front of their place, you got a guy and his daughters working, you got perfumers working, you got merchants on, on the wall, you got goldsmiths on the wall, you got all these different groups on the wall together. But what are they up against? Before they can build, what do they have to do? Right now, everything's just a pile of rubble. Before they can do any building, first they got to do some tearing down. Now, when they build, they have to build together in unity with those around them. The, their wall has to be like this. It can't be like this or, or like this or like this. It has to come together, right, to be a wall. But before they can do that, they have to be together. They have to be unified in tearing down what's there because there's a half a wall here. There's a quarter of a wall there, and they got to tear all that stuff down in order to build it back and be unified together. So what I'm saying to you is that unity in building sometimes requires unity in tearing down, getting rid of things. In the church at Ephesus, people would come in and how they identify themselves, they'd say, hello, I am circumcised. Other people, they would come in, they go, hello, I am uncircumcised. And right away, there's tension in the church because they came in with those labels on, those tags on, their ways of identifying themselves. Here's what we read in Ephesians 
So then remember, this is Ephesians chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those who called, by, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Uh, in other words, for centuries, this is how you divided yourself. Circumcised and uncircumcised. That's the way you've looked at yourselves for hundreds of years. But no more in the church. Here's what Paul says in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. No more are you identified by circumcised and uncircumcised. Now you are one through Christ. And that wall, I think it's interesting, calls the wall of hostility. Why? Because the yin, yin, yin was going on. Hostility to one another. That wall of hostility to one another, that's been torn down. See, what the gospel seeks to do in us is tear down those walls of hostility. Sometimes they're race walls. Sometimes they're gender walls. There's different, you know, most of the time that hostility is not a wall of race or gender. Most of the time it's a wall of preference. In Romans chapter 14, people were coming in the church with a tag on it that says, I eat meat. Other people came in the church with a tag on it that says, I don't eat that kind of meat. And so there was tension that was going on. Here's the thing that when you read Romans chapter 14, here's what you find. Paul fights for unity in Jesus instead of unity around a certain perspective or preference. In other words, Paul doesn't take a preference a certain side and fight for it. He doesn't even mention his preference in this. He just tells them what they need to do. He doesn't say, well, this is what I do. No, 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 no. He doesn't take sides. This is what Jesus did over and over again in the Gospels. People came to him and said, Jesus, what's your tribe? Tell me about your tribe. Are you a pro-Sabbath tribe? Or are you an anti-Sabbath? Because we heard you did some healing on Sabbath. You must be the anti-Sabbath tribe. You don't really care about the Sabbath day. They tried to, to get him to choose a tribe where he came to sinners. You must be pro-sinners. Because I saw you eating around sinners. So you're a pro-sinner tribe, aren't you? One they tried to get him on was taxes. Are you a pro-tax or an anti-tax tribe? Which one are you? Jesus says, show me a coin. They showed him a coin. He says, whose image is on it? He said, Caesar's. Then he said, give unto Caesar's what Caesar's give unto God. What's God? In other words, I'm part of something that's much bigger than being part of a tribe. Jesus was trying to build a, his kingdom. And guess what his kingdom is going to have in it? Pro-tax people and anti-tax people. Pro-Roman people, anti-Roman people. Pro-tax collector, anti It's going to have people from every sort of tribe. He wants them all in his kingdom. So that's why he could go, oh, there's a Roman. I'm going to heal his slave. People, that's a Roman soldier. You're going to help him out? Sure I am. Because I want Romans in my kingdom too. Constantly Jesus was doing this. So, 
Jesus was focusing on tearing down those walls of hostility because he wanted the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the ones who ate that kind of meat and the ones who didn't. He wanted them all to be part of his kingdom, the Jew, the Gentile, all of them. Or as we would say today, the Democrats and Republicans, he wanted them all. So what I want to do now is I want to look at three verses in Romans chapter 14 to give us three reasons why we should tear down those walls of hostility. Okay? So there's three verses out of Romans 14. The first verse is this. It says, this is, this is verse 1. Accept, key word there, accept anyone who is weak in faith but don't argue about disputed matters. Don't let these things, disputed matters. Now, listen, let me make a, a little caveat here. When he says disputed matters, he's not talking about things that sin. He's talking about preferences, okay? So we're not talking about sin here. We're talking about preferences. And, and, and what he's saying is that don't let... Your thoughts about these disputable matters, don't let them keep people in or out of the kingdom. Accept people. Accept, uh, have your arms open to them would be a good translation of that word. Uh, welcome them with open arms, believers who don't see the things the way you do. In other words, we should be able to walk arm in arm even though we don't see eye to eye. That's what he's saying. And we don't have to have the same opinions politically. We don't have to have the same perspectives socially. We can accept one another. So if you're going to tear down those walls of hostility, you have to say, look, even though I may not agree with them politically or socially, I'm still going to accept them, have my arms open to them, walk with them, do life together with them in the church. Here's the thing I want you to see. Uh, it's okay for you to have personal convictions about things. He doesn't say you have to stop having those convictions. He doesn't say you have to stop believing that or, or being a part of those things. He's not saying that, that you don't have to be passionate or have a certain political perspective. But what he is saying is this. Don't insist upon that in the church. Or I'll add this in the family. Uh, it was just this morning. I was listening to something on my way to church. And they say, you know, the thing that people have, have regretted most or has cost the most going through the, the COVID thing has been loss of relationships. Because people in their family or their friends whatever, didn't agree about politics or, or shots or things like that, how that's broken relationships. But listen, he's not saying you can't have those perspectives. He's saying don't insist upon it in the church. If you don't agree with someone, don't come in and say, if you don't believe the way I do about eating this meat, uh, about Jews or Gentiles, about circumcision or shots or no shots, or whatever it may be, I can't have fellowship with you. Paul said, don't do that. Don't do that. Accept others who have different points of view than you. The second thing in verse 20, 
says this, do not tear down God's work because of food. Let's just stop right there. God's up to something big. Don't mess it up over your view of food. Or shots or politics or whatever you want to put in there. Don't destroy the work of God because of, and you can fill in the blank. What does that mean? You know what that means? You can destroy the work of God if you're not careful because you're insisting on such a way in your church. Just don't do that. God's up to building a huge kingdom. And we're going to see that in a minute. Bigger than what we can imagine. Don't destroy it. The third thing, verse 22. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I wish everybody in our Christian culture had that memorized. Wouldn't that be great? It's okay for you to have convictions, but keep them between yourself and God. Don't try to force somebody else to have your conviction. Or let me put it another way. Don't be passive aggressive about it. Don't come to the potluck with your big, juicy, tender roast and stick it under the nose of somebody who doesn't eat that type of meat. They have a conviction not to eat that type of meat and tell them, you know what? The greatest thing, I just read three studies this past week that says if you eat meat like this, you'll live six minutes longer. Don't do that. Don't be passive aggressive about it. Keep it between you and God. As followers of Jesus, we are to be known as ministers of what? Say it louder. Thank you. Reconciliation. I don't know if you're whispering because you wasn't sure or you're just whispering because we are to be ministers of reconciliation. What does that mean? We're to be connecting people to God and connecting people with others. We're supposed to be bringing people together, people together with God and connecting people to other people. We are to do whatever it takes to do that. So, as a result of that, there is something wrong when the world looks at your social media page and instead of seeing a bridge builder, they see a wall builder. Hmm. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation. So here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. We read this last week. Y'all hate me yet? We're on the road there? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, some don't want to make eye contact yet. So. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. So we are called to do what? To speak with gentleness and humility. How often? All the time. 
That's to, that's to be us. We are to speak with gentleness and humility. So if a judge of some court got together all your comments on social media, would they say, well, they must be a Christian because all I see here is responsible gentleness and humility. Would that be what they would see? Oh, Randy, I want to be humble and gentle, but the problem is I'm just always right. If I was wrong a whole lot, then I could be gentle and humble. But the problem is, I'm right. I'm justified. I know I'm right. Is the most compelling evidence that you follow Christ that you're right, or is it that you're gentle? You've got to ask yourself that question. He also said in, in verse 2, we read in Ephesians, be patient, bear with one another. In other words, there's room for other people's differences. That means you have space in your life for other people. Let me, I'm going to ask you several questions here. Here's another one. What if the most compelling evidence that you're a Christ follower is not what you say, but how you say it and the spirit you say it in? What if that was the case? What if the most compelling evidence that, that you are a Christ follower is not that you're preachy with people, but you're patient with people? What if? What if? What if that happened? That's so rare these days. People would stand up and notice that. That would be noticeable. So here's my statement. If you are speaking the truth about Christ, but you're not doing it with gentleness and humility, it's probably best you just sit down. Here's what the Bible says, to preach the truth in love. Does the truth matter? You bet the truth matters. But if you're giving the truth, and it's at, it's at the, and if you're giving the truth, but it's a priority over love, you're making the wrong decision. The truth you preach should not have priority over the person that you're supposed to love. It shouldn't have a priority over love in your life. So here's what we read in, in Romans chapter 15. This is uh, verse 5, 5 through 7. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. So we're to live in unity. Why? So that God is glorified. We'll, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, so just keep that in mind. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. Accept. That word means you open your arms, you gather people into yourself. And we're to accept one another. How? Just like, just as God has accepted us. He accepted us even though we didn't meet his standards, didn't he? That's how we are to accept other people. And when we do that, what's the result? Unity happens, but, but who gets glorified? God gets glorified. It puts God's glory on display when we are to accept one another. Although people aren't like us and don't meet our standards. Why? Because human nature says, when you pay me back, when you come and apologize to me, 
When you get rid of that gruff personality, then I'll like you. Then I'll accept you. When you begin to see things as I do, then I'll accept you. That's what human, say, that's what human nature says. But you want to see people see God? You accept people. You love people. You become kind and gentle to people who don't see things the way you do. Again, we're not talking about sinful matters, okay? We're talking about matters of preference. That divides so many people. Next question. Have you taken your personal opinions and turned them into a wall within your family or church and then judged those on the other side? Ooh. Here's what I want you to understand. You can be right about something and still be wrong. Okay? Let me ask you, do you put others' needs above yours? Do you consider other people more important than you? Are you quick to hear? Slow to listen, slow to be angry, but quick to hear. Why is this important? Why is this so important? The more the world divides, the more trouble it becomes, the more opportunity the church has to demonstrate something different that Jesus has done for us. It puts together God on display. Whenever we, inside the church, whenever we can, can have all our differences, and those differences, they don't disappear. Those differences are still there, but we come together in unity because now our identity is mainly in Christ. So I can accept people who see things differently than I do. That doesn't divide us anymore because my, my identity in Christ takes precedence over that. Here's, here's, here's the verse. I want you, this is in uh, Revelation. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now that is a very beautiful church. That's a very beautiful picture. You know what makes this beautiful? There were people there from where? Every nation, tribe, people, and language. The differences aren't going away when we get to heaven. They're going to still be there. We're still going to have different preferences. We're going to look different, talk different, act different, have different preferences that are going. Those things will still be there in heaven. There are still differences in heaven, and that is beautiful. Now, if only we could have that attitude here on earth. Oh, they don't see things the way I do. Am I going to any and get upset? No, because God is building something much bigger here than my preferences. So I'm going to reach my arms around it and embrace them. Here's the next verse. This is verse 10. Uh, we read verse 9. This is verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. <laughs> All that's dividing these people from every nation, tongue, tri tribe on earth, they're all united by one thing, their salvation. That's the truest thing about us. All of us here is that God has saved us all. Now that kind of unity is not easy. It's not. 
Three things. It'll mean you humbly accept people who don't agree with you on certain issues. Okay? Number two. It may mean that you're going to be more concerned about being righteous than being right on matters of opinion. Because you can still be right and you can be in the wrong. You can say the truth is what matters. But if truth is taking priority over love, making the wrong decision. Third thing, it gives us an opportunity to demonstrate unity to a world that is dying to see it and increasingly thinks it's not possible. You tell me when the world looks at what's going on in our political landscape right now, do they think unity is possible anywhere? No. They don't see any way for that to happen. But what if they look inside the church and saw Democrats and Republicans and vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and all in the church coming together and glorifying Jesus? Now, let me say this. Whatever sacrifices you have to make in order for there to be unity, Jesus made a lot more sacrifice than you did for it. Whatever you have to make. Jesus' sacrifice was much, much costlier than yours. So, last thing. We're not going to be wall builders. We're going to be bridge builders. I want there to be a lot of tribes in our church. I want people from every tribe to be in our church. Every culture, gender, just race, it all. I want that. I know we have people from several different countries here and things like that and and that, but oh, I'd love to see so much more. I'll tell you, can can you just oh I hate to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Let's read this together. Y'all ready? We're not going to be wall builders, we're going to be bridge builders. Okay, one more time like you mean it, even the guys this time, okay? Ready? We're not going to be wall builders. We're going to be bridge builders. Here's the next thing. When it comes to disputable matters, we're not going to destroy the work of God for the sake of food. This is just scripture. Shouldn't have a problem reading that, right? Let's read together. You ready? When it comes to disputable matters, we're not going to destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't make that mistake. So there's a, it's a book, I think they made a movie about the zookeeper's wife. It's, it's about the, the people in Warsaw, uh, Poland, that, that hid the Jews during the Holocaust. And, and it makes a point in there. It took a lot more than just the people who had the Jews hidden in their house. It took maids who didn't ask why there's suddenly so much more laundry to do. It took the milkman who didn't ask why he's having to deliver a whole lot more milk than he used to deliver. It took the mailman 
you know, not asking why is there so much mail coming to this house or the, the grocery delivery guy, not to ask why he suddenly had to deliver so much more groceries. In other words, it took thousands of people to save hundreds. And if we're going to see revival, it's going to take that desperation, that, that, that sense of this brokenness in us. It's going to take faith and it's going to take where we're unity. We're going to come and do this. We're going to build this together. Because that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We're a lot of different parts, but what we do, we do together. That is a powerful display of the gospel. Whenever we in a church come and we say, yes, we have differences. You know, I think they may be of that tribe over there, but I'm not real sure. I'm not sure. But I think they are. But you know what I do know? I love them. I accept them. And I love being a part of worshiping God together with people from different tribes. We want every tribe here. Okay? Or excuse me. I want every tribe here. I don't want to make assumptions I shouldn't be making. I want every tribe here. I, as sometimes have been people who said, oh, you must be part of the other tribe. And after tribe, oh, you must be part of this tribe. And, and, and I love that they don't really know. I take pride in that. Because that's not what's important. What's important is, if we really want revival, you'll be praying and fasting because you have a sense of desperation. It won't just be, oh, okay, another sermon. I mean, if that's what you really want, then, then you're gonna, that's going to show up in your life. You're going to be willing to take that step of faith that God leads you to take. You're going to start doing that, and you're going to seek unity. Because if, you're going, if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to do it together, every one of us. Okay? If Grandview's going to see revival, every one of us has to be involved in that. And it takes unity to do that. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.